0: This is UCD Business Impact. Each week, we'll be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and the world. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Now, because of what's happened with the pandemic, I don't think a single person is wanting to wait one hour extra in 2020. Everyone is really trying to see this year gone and move into a new year, a new era, possibly with the help of vaccines, which can remove the pandemic from our daily lives, at least in some form. So as a result of that, we're kind of changing tradition a little bit, and we're bringing forward the traditional review of the year, which you'll see all over your newspapers, radio and television in the next few weeks. We're going early, and we plead guilty on that front. We think it's worth it for the reasons that I've outlined, that really nobody wants to stay an extra second in what has been a horrid year on so many different fronts. So as a result of that, we're going to look at what's been happening in the financial, business and economic world in 2020. And yes, there was other things going on apart from COVID, although we will be discussing that too. But there was a number of corporate developments of interest, There's a number of trends, number of people and brand names have left the stage. So we'll be reflecting on all of that for the next half hour of this particularly special edition of the business impact podcast and my two guests to guide me through are donald o'donovan who is the business editor of the irish independent also joining us is siobhan o'connell co-founder of business plus magazine you're both very welcome to the podcast if i can come to you first dodal and look at COVID, we have to take the C-word, take it up front of this podcast and get it out of the way any sort of initial insights or just kind of even from a personal or business point of view what a way did this story evolve from your vantage point, sitting in the, the editorial chair in the Irish Independent.
1: If there's one good thing to be said for COVID-19, uh, the pandemic, it's that it not breaks it off the front page. And there, I've never in my more uh, quarter of a century working as a journalist um, has any story been as dominant as, as this, even up to and including the bailouts, um, uh, you know, which came in waves. The, the, the COVID story has, has absolutely dominated every aspect of our lives, not just not just the economy, obviously health, huge health story. But but it but it has also been sort of fascinating in that because it's upended everything about our economy and, and, and a huge amount about our society, it's shown us kind of at a at, at at a new angle aspects of of, of 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 how the world works. And I mean we saw this story coming you, you, you both remember we saw this story coming from China. We saw the China lockdown last um, February we were watching that um, and, it, and it was very reminiscent I think um, probably for most of us of SARS and the avian flu um, epidemics, previous uh, epidemics um, in that part of the world which had been obviously very very um, uh, very challenging for, 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 for Asia, very challenging for supply chains, very challenging for for, for public health in in parts of the world. But didn't really have a major impact in Europe or United States or the or to the global economy, and and so I I have to say as a, as, a, as a business journalist I was watching it with that kind of through that lens and so I I was certainly from the Irish Independent point of view in February we were asking we were probing we were asked, looking to see what the impact of the Chinese lockdowns the Wuhan lockdown was having on the Irish economy, expecting to see that really import activity in factories maybe not getting um, uh, deliveries of, 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 you know, elements of their supply chain breaking down um, and, and that sort of thing. And actually, that's not what happened at all. Um, so, so, you know, the anticipated impact was not the impact. What we really saw, what I, certainly the, the first Irish COVID-19 story that we broke, and I think we broke the first story altogether, was uh, when Indeed Indeed.com, uh, the, the um, uh, technology platform, uh, a, a jobs technology platform, big global tech company, uh, big offices in Dublin, they sent their entire workforce, about a thousand people home, I think it was on a Monday morning, suddenly uh, asked them not to come in on a Monday morning because somebody in that office had potentially been in contact at an office in Singapore with somebody who'd been, potentially been in contact with, um, with uh, COVID-19. And so suddenly it, it, it wasn't a supply chain issue, it was a human issue. And that and um, and that what that really sort of gave a sense of was how much more integrated China, Wuhan, Singapore, Ireland are now versus where they had been even as, as, as recently as ours. It's only gone back about a decade and, and and what happens in the Irish economy, the way that the Irish economy inter- interacts with the rest of the world really initially um, and, and to a huge extent is through the services industry and that's through people. Uh, the, the other thing about the, that, that was fascinating about the Indeed story was that immediately by that afternoon, people were able to tell us that they were working fine; that it was business as usual. People were working from home, and actually, that set set the template for a huge amount of what's happened in the Irish economy in the last nine months, ten months, ten months, eleven months, uh, going on for eleven months. Is that yes? Human to human contact was where this affected the the economy. Working from home for people who could work from home, particularly in sort of in the services sector, was it a viable um, solution that could be implemented immediately and could be implemented long term and and the other thing was that this pandemic was not far away this pandemic this at the at the time epidemic had immediate reach into the irish economy because the irish economy has immediate reach into the rest of the world
0: and Siobhan, um i suppose we're trying to assess the damage it's a bit like kind of uh, coming out from a nuclear fallout shelter and just seeing how bad things are and my impression is there hasn't been as many insolvencies. Now I, I exempt the retail sector in particular from this because they have been really ravaged. But there hasn't been as many big name companies going under the way there was in the financial crisis. Now is that no. just my cosmetic impression, or do you think that's? No, a, I think a fair that's. Problem? I think
2: that's a fair assessment. Although you know, the, because of the economic supports that government has provided, it has kept maybe many companies from going under. But the the largest cohort of people who have suffered in this are, are young people, 15 to 24 year olds, you know, who work in the gig economy, who work in restaurants, who work in coffee shops, who work in hospitality, all of which have been hugely affected. I mean, the unemployment rate for 15 to 24 year olds is currently 45%. So that's where the real damage has been done. Now, you know, welfare payments will keep the wolf from the door for those young people, but they want the dignity of work you know they want to get back to work and that's going to be the challenge looking ahead to 2021 for government how do they get those young people back to work
0: donald one other thing that I, I kind of recognized about the pandemic was this whole the shortage of bicycles during the summer was kind of illustrative in a way of how dependent we are on on china in particular
1: there was never a sense that the pandemic was causing short real shortages real hardship around you know manufacturing or, or, or supplies into manufacturing. The one area I think where we saw a, a, a fairly kind of real realizable effect was, that, yeah, you started to see that there were, um, there were, it was hard to get a bike in the summer, um, <laughs> and which is you know, reasonably trivial in, in terms of, the, of everything else that was happening, but it was actually, you know, that was kind of what we were looking out for first. And uh, once China opened up again, so you know, uh, once the Chinese economy was back on its feet, um, those, those kind of supply chain issues have immediately kind of uh, resolved, and, and and I don't think I think I don't think Santa's going to struggle to get bicycles this Christmas.
0: No, that's good to hear. Uh, one of the things that meant we were all under lock and key for a large parts of the year. One of the things that distracted us was, dare I say, at times the carnival atmosphere surrounding the U.S. presidential election. And I know as we record this, um, President uh, Trump is still resisting the end results, but it does look like certainly with the bookies, that um, Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden, will be, will be taking office in mid-January at the inauguration in Washington. So let's take that as a fait accompli for the purposes of this particular podcast, at least. And Siobhan, I, I think you um, can really sum up for us the reaction of corporate Ireland to the election of Joe Biden.
2: I, I would uh, summarise the, the mood in Dublin as one of dizzying excitement at the prospect of uh, Donald Trump leading office and Joe Biden coming in, I mean, I think it was Tommy Gorman and RT said um, at the time, it's as near as it gets to a lotto win for Ireland. And in fact, a Euro lotto win at that. Um, Look, it's very important for Ireland to have a friend in America right now. You know, uh, our nearest neighbour, Britain, is leaving the European Union. That's going to bring challenges. Uh, So to have new real access to the White House um, is key. Now, And then you look at Ireland, and we're the big home to big tech in Europe. More than 30% of EU data were a key player in Europe's debate over how to manage the global digital space and how to keep it safe. And um, as European Commission Vice President Margrethe Vestager said um, in a webinar with Irish businesses last month, and she said, Dublin has been a major European trading center since the Vikings. Nowadays, the trade routes are fiber cables and cellular signals. So now, if you look at Trump, and he was pursuing very aggressive trade policies, which have dangers for Ireland, and sought, obviously, to bodies, um, such as the World Trade Organization. But central to Biden's strategy is also, it's his policy, is a strategy of bringing U.S. investment back to America, and thus securing vital supply chains in pharma, electronics, and other areas. And he has detailed policies to seek how to do that, even though being faced with a Republican-dominated Congress would make co- uh, progress on those difficult um, areas. So you know, bringing investment back home was a recurring theme of the Trump presidency. He referred in a number of occasions to Ireland's position as a farmer manufacturer U.S.'s resulting deficit in trade with the state. And while he did push through a major tax reform program in 2017, his threat to bring production back to the U.S. from countries such as China and Ireland was never really followed through. However, Biden's campaign, you know, we'll have to wait and see.
0: Donald, I think you take a, a slightly different view that it's, it isn't quite one-way traffic in terms of the, the, the switchover there's going to be between the Trump and Biden administrations.
1: No, like, I think Siobhan is right in terms of that emotional response and that immediate response. It's a great sense of relief, if nothing else. I think, um, I think that uh, Joe Biden's personality and his politics um, the position that Ireland is in uh, uh, and and it, it, you know the, the, the sort of the, the, the real closeness. I mean, he's got a the real affection for Ireland uh, at a diplomatic and an emotional level. That's going to be really positive for us in terms of uh, and, you know access to access to the White House. It's really important for Irish politicians. But diplomatically, it places in a really kind of sweet spot between Brussels and Washington at a time when there are a lot of tensions, you know, uh, uh, between Brussels and Washington around issues like uh, taxation of technology like aircraft manufacturing, you know, there are, there are unresolved tensions between, you know, the two big, big blocks. Traditionally, and for, for the guts of 100 years, let's face it, the UK has really, well, we like to think we fulfil fulfilled that, but the UK has really fulfilled that. The UK has really been the bridge between um, the United States and Europe uh, for, 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 for the guts of 100 years. For reasons best known to themselves, really, they have really dropped the ball on that. Um, the Biden presidency, the, the sort of confluence of, of, kind of Ireland being on an upswing diplomatically in Europe because let's face it, if this had happened 10 years ago when we were in the doghouse, we wouldn't be looking at this as a, as, a, as, as, a, as, mu- as much of a boon as, as it potentially is. But all of those things, if the UK has dropped the diplomatic ball. Ireland is in a very good position to pick that ball and run with it. And that could give us really sort of a real, sort of, um, a real kind of pep in our step diplomatically, which will, tra- that will have economic consequences, if you like, over, over you know, potentially a quarter of a century. On the other hand, let's not kid ourselves, Siobhan is right joe biden 's um, been elected by people who want jobs uh, to come back to america Donald Trump, i think is probably permanent is a wrong word in politics but significantly significantly swung um u s politics towards a sort of domestic uh, a domestic jobs focus uh, that 's not necessarily a bad thing you know i mean if 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 joe biden and, and the democrats don 't want to, to 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 repeat what happened under obama, which was Basically, that that sort of sense of disenfranchisement that allowed the rise of Trump, then they really have to focus on that. That's bad news for us potentially. I mean, you know, a company like Pfizer, you you'll recall when, when uh, at one stage looked like uh, folding itself into Allergan and becoming an Irish company under the Obama and back in the Obama administration period. Obama went mad about it. Biden went mad about it. So that those kind of Those sort of big tax inversions, some of the pharmaceutical investment here, some of the technology investment here, that's not going to be particularly popular, maybe not so much with Joe Biden himself, but with the people he has to bring with him in his administration. So Ireland would be in a difficult position there um, uh, in terms of jobs and investment. On the other hand, all of those things are much easier when you have a good diplomatic relationship. So there there is something to, 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 to to, to be said for that.
0: And and, and Siobhan and Donald, could could I construct an argument for you that as we came into the year, there were sort of three existential threats, if I I can put it as dramatically as that, to Ireland's FDI-based model. One was Brexit, obviously, which we will try not to talk about too much on this podcast. The second was a continuation of the, the Trump administration into a second term. And the third one was, you know, that, that awaited decision by the European Commission on Apple and its tax affairs. So it, it does look like at least two of the three of those have been removed from the table. Uh, and Donald, do you think that's a, a big deal or, or would you be a little bit more sanguine about some of those events?
1: I'd be fairly sanguine. I mean, the Apple tax ruling is positive in terms of Ireland's kind of ink, if you like, its relationship with the foreign direct investment community. So uh, Ireland stood, up, stood by its, its own sort of tax officials, if you like um and 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 saw off certainly for now um the, the the Apple tax ruling. Now the worst case scenario there coming into the year was that Ireland uh, lost and had to take the fourteen billion. So you know you that's a kind of a heads I win, tails I lose or tails you lose um scenario, really uh, in a way uh, it's not entirely resolved. I mean, the commission, you know, are, are, are going to keep at that, um, although I, I think the law is fairly fairly strong in favour of, of Ireland and Apple. Um, the the tensions that it's really about, though, which is the taxation of the digital economy, is not resolved. It's not resolved by any means um, uh, as far as Brussels goes. It's probably not resolved particularly as far as, as the Biden administration goes in the US, although it'll be interesting to see, you know, something like Kamala, Paris is from um, California. The, 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 the technology industry is a huge, huge, huge part of that economy. So the Bernie Sanders' desire to tax um, big business versus the, the the desire to sort of um, allow U.S. Uh, industry to flourish is going to be a tension within within the Biden administration. Less so in Brussels. I mean, they really do want to tax tech, um, and and that. Find the the Apple case itself has gone away, but 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 that 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 real drive has not gone away, and that is going to change, um, the world economy in the next ten years still.
0: Okay, Donald and Siobhan, let's let's move, shut the conversation on away from the, these big picture themes, COVID, uh, the Biden presidency, tax, and so on, and move a bit locally where there has actually been some pretty significant local corporate developments. So, you know, big money, and the one that strikes me most forcefully is the sale of the recruitment company CPL for several hundred million euros and um, Siobhan, talk to me a little bit about this company. Talk to me about the husband and wife team behind it. It really is a fascinating story.
2: You know, what was interesting about this, um, you know, obviously for Herity, you know, a shop owner, pub, pub owner, daughter, and um, so she learned the hard ropes in Ballinalee in County Longford about doing business and it served her well. But the agreed sale, funnily enough, was unveiled less than two weeks after CPL's latest annual report. And it revealed that Herity had seen her salary for the year-end fall, be it by a small amount, 71000 to something like just over half a million. But that was because of a result of the management pay cuts during the coronavirus crisis. So her timing was immac- is immaculate. I mean, to get out now for a gluten firm, it's just some result. But what's interesting with CPL, you know, is... And what's clever about CPL, it has stood out from its rivals on both sides of the IRC um, because a lot of its business comes from tech and pharma companies in the Republic and healthcare and life sciences in Britain and Ireland. And in addition, uh, of course, it survived the burst of the dot-com bubble in 2000 as well. So let's not forget how she steered it through that Um, a year after she floated the business. CPL is much more focused on providing temporary staff or what it likes to call flexible talent than her peers. So she has been quite an extraordinary businesswoman in how she's managed that CPL business, as I said, through the downturns, through the boom years. And uh, now Paul, 56, I mean, he's going to get like 110 million and herself for their combined 34.9% stake.
0: Donald, um, recruitment, you know, the, the companies tend to come and go, it can be a footloose industry. You're hot for a few years and then, you know, you're no longer relevant, but this really was something that in any other year would have possibly been the business story of the year, this sale of this company, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really interesting business. Um, I suppose you're, yeah, it, a lot of recruitment companies traditionally have been sort of very much kind of, um, personality led and, and relatively small scale and as the kind of the founder moves on from the, the hands on front of house job then that the sort of business tends to fall by the wayside a bit Th- that certainly hasn't been the case with cpL cpL is a sub- very substantial business stock market listed business and her as you say founded it and has led it and is selling it and will make an absolute fortune i mean it's a huge business success in in terms of the, the return for her um re- what's really interesting I suppose about about cpL is that they that they're an Irish company that really integrated into the multinational sector so you know they, they they provide it's not so much just recruitment services but uh, human resource solutions to to, 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 to use an awful uh, phrase but but they do solve problems for multinationals in terms of the people they need to do tasks and um, the the tasks that they need to manage and all that sort of stuff and and integrating into those big technology companies that have a, a huge irish presence gives an irish company like cpl a a, a sort of a, a real leg up into being a major business, the kind of business that somebody comes from Japan um, to want to buy for a huge amount of money, and that I think is 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 important to note because there tends to be a narrative that public policy here is too supportive of uh, foreign direct investment, and that that is necessarily to the detriment of the development of the domestic economy. And it isn't necessarily to the detriment of the domestic economy; if the d- domestic economy can can ride on the coattails of the multinationals. Um, by, by, by providing services at really the highest level of the world economy, then they can add value, create value, and ultimately make really, really substantial money.
0: Um, as the Japanese came in and swooped up CPL, lots of other companies have been leaving the stage or bought up. Um, Siobhan, talk to us a little bit about good bodies. They were meant to be going Chinese, but it looks like AIB are going to step in there uh, based on current media reports.
2: If AIB finally swallows up, a uh, good body like we're being told would happen. Um, don't forget AIB is 71% owned by the government. And um, that's, any transaction that goes ahead, that's going to cause a big headache for the Department of Finance, because it may involve having to pay bonuses in the future, to good body staff. And um, sure a plan to pay large incentives at AIB by the bank's previous managers was vetoed by Pascal Donahue when he was then Minister for Finance.
0: Donald, other departures, uh, we can see Sean Quinn's name pretty much disappearing from the Irish business landscape. Uh, apparently, it's going to be removed from the Quinn Group Group of Companies. We can see Ulster Bank are look like departing the banking market. Even at your own company, um, the ne- name I, Independent News and Media is going to be leaving us as well. So, which one of those departures do you kind of think is, in the long term, the most significant?
1: There's no doubt that Ulster Bank and uh, the potential loss of Ulster Bank is the most significant of those departures. I mean, there's inevitably in in, in life, um, you know, businesses come and go, names come and go, brands come and go. Uh, but 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 banks, they don't come and go that often. You know, I mean, we haven't had a new bank really established here. We've had a little bit of kind of stuff at the margin. They've uncarded looking into moving to the mortgage business. We've had some... Uh, non-banks developing you know, fairly, fairly, fairly big businesses here, but nothing compared to, you know, the third biggest bank in the country. Ulster Bank's third big, biggest bank in the country and really has been for a very long time uh, in terms of servicing, you know, the the the, the real economy. Big mortgage uh, business there, uh, very substantial SME business, uh, agricultural business, particularly in the northern half of the country. So disproportionately uh, in, the, in the northern half of the country. So we uh, look, we don't know if Ulster Bank is going to go, but we know that Ulster Bank's parent, NatWest, and ultimately it's, it, 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 its main parent is the UK Treasury because it was bailed out a decade ago. We know that they are looking seriously at potentially winding up the Irish Bank. Now, that will take years. At the same time, you, you know, banking policy here w- was, was recreated after the crash on the basis that there were going to be three banks. If there were going to be two, then that's a disaster from a competition uh, point of view. There's no point in kidding ourselves about that. On the other hand, you can see, like, you know, there's a huge amount of capital tied up in Ulster Bank. Uh, they, they they're really struggling to make any money in the Irish economy. Their, their costs are high. They can't get the money that is tied up here back to back to to to, 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 to the parent really to redeem uh, the cost of a bailout, massive bailout of Ulster Bank uh, again ten years ago, but 15 billion. Um ultimately the UK wants that money back if they can't get it back by being in business then they will get it back by shutting the business because it is trapped in the business the problem is you know what happens then the likelihood is is more that the good bits of the bank will be bought up by their by their potentially by their Irish rivals and the bad bits of the bank you know by by maybe by 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 vulture funds maybe just wound down over over, over a long time. I mean, you can, you can let a mortgage book wind down over 10, 20 years. It's not, it's not that difficult, um, but, but, it, but it, it becomes a real challenge for the Irish economy if, if you can't get credit into the system. Now, it may be that over the next 10 years, you know, fintech and, and, and all sorts of other solutions come in, but it's hard to see any of them being as big as a big substantial bank.
0: No, and I think it's kind of ironic that a lot of the people from Ulster Bank, certainly some of their upper-tier managers, have left and joined Revolut, which is kind of a, the new type of bank that you're talking about. So maybe, there, maybe there's something in that.
1: Maybe there is, but like, you know, Revolut doesn't, no more than the Irish Bank. Revolut doesn't make money either. Um, so if you're looking at sustainable long-term access to capital, and, and, and it's very boring, but that's what economies really thrive on is sustainable long-term access to predictable capital. Uh, that means that you have to have a financial system that actually makes money from providing that. Revolute doesn't. Uh, the banks, the main banks at the moment, don't. The alternative lenders are really struggling to do that. So that is, if you're looking at the Irish economy, which in, in many ways is going to come out of of, of COVID you know, quite strong, That you, you would see that there's potentially an, an Achilles heel there. And, and it's, do you have... As, uh, uh, do you have a financial sector that can provide for the financial needs of, of a growing economy? Not sure we do.
0: Um, also, it's probably worth mentioning one other very significant departure in the aviation world. Willie Walsh finally, and I use this word advisedly, retiring from British Airways, probably reached more, a more senior role than any other Irish business person for many decades, it, it, certainly in UK corporate life. Siobhan, any views, uh, takes, reaction to Willie Walsh moving on and, and moving on to new pastures?
2: That was a nice one about Willie Walsh. On the last day of his 41-year career in aviation, uh, he faced down a pay revolt. So uh, he locked horns at the shareholders, but he got his 833,000 sterling annual bonus over the line to take his annual earnings for 2019 to 3.2 million. He has taken a huge amount of money out of the airline business in remuneration over the years. But look, you could argue the shareholders have done well out of it. The shareholders have done well out of it too. So.
0: Donald, your own view on Willie Walsh. I mean, he's been in the news endlessly, both at Aer Lingus and at British Airways. He also got involved in the ATMA here in Ireland. Any kind of a overview of his career to date, which I think will continue on after this as well?
1: Yeah, look, he's a phenomenally successful executive, um, aviation executive. As you say, probably the outstanding executive uh, of of his generation, you know, among among kind of Irish corporate leader. Uh, I don't think he's retiring in, in in this in this sort of any meaningful sense. He's already he's already um, um, pitched up at uh, uh, I at the International um, Aviation uh, uh, Association. So you know, he's he's already picking up gigs. Um, he's a really active personality, uh, big personality. Uh, you know, controversial in his time as well. You know, he. he Always gave good copy in, in terms of journalism. You know, he he uh, he always had something to say on 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 his sector, on on the industry. Um, quite outspoken, uh, quite charismatic in his own way. I mean, you'll remember when the uh, when the Icelandic uh, volcano uh, crisis happened. It was Willie Walsh who you know, as he's a pilot himself, went up in the air to sort of to show that it was safe. Um, it, in many ways, it's an extraordinary thing to do. And 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 you know has moved on from that to be running IAG, huge global airline. Stayed on uh, to help it through the crisis, uh, and, and is is finally getting his reward. He made he's made a huge amount of money um, over the years as well. So you know hugely successful career. It'd be interesting to see what he does. He's somebody who's who's now available. He's, he's a history of public service. Who's now available, as you say, he was at the NTMA um, to 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 governments. Uh, it'll be interesting to see you know, to what extent governments want, want want to tap into that.
0: Now, one of the stories that, for those of you who don't read the business press every day or every week, there's a constant presence of a company called Arista, which is, is you know, you probably know their products maybe more than the company. Uh, companies like Cuisine de France is what they produce. We're talking about baguettes, bread rolls, et etc. et cetera. Not necessarily glamorous stuff, but can be highly profitable. And the company's had an interesting history, but also it's been in the news endlessly, endlessly, for the last few months. Um, Donald and his team have been trying to document what's happening there. And we're going to set Donald a challenge today, which is to try and summarize what is literally, literally a saga. That's been going on month after month, different kind of corporate manoeuvres, people coming in and out of the company, different forces trying to grab control of the company. Donald, can you just try to walk us through as briefly as you can? I know it's a challenge. Uh, what's been happening at this company and who the kind of winners and losers seem to be at the end of it all?
1: Well, for anyone who doesn't know, Arista emerged from what was IAWS, the old um, uh, co-ops co-op in, in, in Ireland. Uh, and that means that it still has a legacy here. A good number of farmers, good number of, of Irish co-ops. They have shares in um, in Arista. It's really a global business now, effectively, based in, in Switzerland. There's a dual listing on the Irish and the Swiss the Zurich stock exchanges. Um, and, and what they do, as you say, yeah, it, uh, uh, Cuisine de France would be their best-known brand here, but they have businesses like that, you know, um, uh, baked goods, uh, businesses that supply big companies, you know, the likes of McDonald's and Starbucks and, and, and big companies like that. Um, in North America and in Europe, and and, and that's that's it's quite a, a boring business, but it's a business. You know, if you get it right, there's a lot of money in it. If you get it wrong, margins aren't great, and you and you can and you can find yourself in real trouble. And that's really where they are. So uh, as it as it grew into this big multinational, IWS grew by borrowing and buying companies. Uh, under um, uh, Own Killian, who's a long-time uh, CEO there, and for a long time, the, the highest-paid CEO in in Irish corporate life, and 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 that sort of that kind of uh, the gears the gears kind of got stuck there. But uh, about four years ago, and and uh, and and really, it's been on a a really sort of tricky downward spiral. Is probably over-egging although the shares have definitely been on a downward spiral. So if you look at the context of what happened, the rows there over the summer, really, the thing to remember is it's about two. 2.7, 2.8 billion of the value of that company has gone in the last four years. There is value in that business because it is good at what it does, which is providing those baked goods into, um, in, into, into, into the, you know, chains that need them at the time they need them. That's a tough business. if you can get it right instead you can make money in it. but, but, the, but the sort of the financial engineering is really more than creaked. You know the company had to raise 800 million from its shareholders last year. There's a bid on the table for the business now from um, from Elliott, uh, a, a big US hedge fund, values it closer to 700 uh, million. So less than was raised last year, so way less than it was worth a couple of years ago. And that's the context. where you've had this big kind of boardroom row, some Irish heavy hitters have been in there. Gary McGann was the chairman. Kevin Toland, ex daa ex was the CEO. They've been sort of reasonably unceremoniously removed uh, over the, over the last couple of months by these activist shareholders from Switzerland and and Spain who've been trying to grab a hold of the business um, really on the basis of arguing on the basis that the, the share value has been wiped out. They've got it now. So the the, 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 the Swiss have it now, um, but are being very coy about what it is they want to do with it and are, or or are able to do with it. So there's, there's a, there has been an incredible row sort of shareholder activists, shareholder votes, directors pitched off the, off the board directors resigning all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and, and it hasn't really gotten anywhere. So, so we're still at a kind of a stasis whereby, yes, there's a substantial global business in there. No, it's probably not worth 700 million euros, but what is it worth? And, and who is going to be able to realize that value? And what does that mean for the Irish shareholders? Who knows?
0: Donald, I'm not sure if you were able to summarize it, but that's probably not bad going considering how many layers there are to this story about Arista. And it'll keep you occupied again, I think, in 2021. Um, Siobhan and Donald, both of you, we, we constantly talk about business as no personalities anymore. People are media trained. They they watch their P's and Q's. But there are some still out there. Johnny Rowan is one that comes to mind. He's been at war, really, with the, the city council all year about the height of buildings down on the Docklands. But another person who's consumed endless column inches is elon musk um i call him the sort of howard Hughes of our age although i hope he doesn't end up hold up in a hotel room in a very depressed state hopefully have a better end to his life than that but he does have some of those characteristics and he's also a man that does very strange things i mean he comes into a radio studio and takes drugs live on air he's ended up in a legal action with people who rescued children from from a cave you guys write about him certainly a certain amount in, in your own um, publication what do you make of him? is he a great businessman or is there just a lot of hype in the kind of media accounts we get of elon musk
2: a bit of all of the above i mean if you put if you type in elon musk into google 38.8 million results come up in point twenty eight seconds
0: and so, you've done this yeah <laughs> Hopefully, only that, for this preparation,
2: yeah. Oh, and I thought, oh God! So, I like, what's I mean, it's 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 so hard to keep up with what he's doing. I mean, his he said last week that his SpaceX SpaceX, which is one of his companies, so his next Starship test flight that's that's in the works. That could happen um, in the next in the next week or two. So that's a big thing. Now, he pivoted his company's attention to Starship after SpaceX launched in May its first astronaut mission. So space and space missions are taking up a lot of his uh, mental energy at the moment. And of course, he also wants to get us all to go to Mars at some point. Although I, I don't know what he's going to do about the cold weather in Mars. But however, but that's his, um, <laughs> his long term ambition. And uh, he said last, last year he was saying the Starship could potentially fly people in 2020. But he did admit the rocket has a few milestones, um, including hundreds of missions to go before that happens. Now, also, of course, then he's had a bit of argy-bargy with employees over the, year, over the last year, with um, his former Tesla employee um, locked horns at him there in courts just, oh, just last year, and um, Martin Tripp, do you remember that, for allegedly divulging trade secrets? So Elon is um, not letting that one go. So Mr. Uh, Martin Tripp has agreed to pay the company $400,000 for telling reporters about production delays at the factory in Nevada. That's according to a recent court filing. So um, what is he? I mean, he's 49. He's a CEO, he's a CTO, he's a chief designer, he's an early investor. You know, he's the founder of all things. The Boring Company. You know, there's a whole list of things he's involved in. I personally think he's a bit of a genius. I do. I
0: okay, Donald, what's your what's your Elon Musk uh, thesis?
1: I'm not sure we write about him as much as you as you as you think we do. I don't think he's, he's you know he's not he's not getting the, he's not he's not, he's, not, he's we're not paying rent uh, for the uh, the space in our heads occupied by Elon Musk, but. um... Look, it's an it, it it it's an interesting business, and he's an interesting character. And yeah, as you say, he's larger than life. I suppose the the interest is, it, you know, ultimately they make sexy cars, um, and and space rockets, and sure what, well, like, what's not to like about that? It's boys with very big toys and and very expensive toys. He has pulled off the extraordinary stroke of making electric vehicles. Um, I say sexy. Uh, you, you cast your eyes, your mind back pre-Tesla, uh, and electric was boring, and and and, and uh, you know the the Birkenstock of cars, if you like, um, and now it's and now it's kind of thought of up there with your Maseratis, or or if if not quite that, well, certainly with your sort of with your with your your very sort of cool um, sports car sort of demographic. Is there, a, is there a long-term business in there, it's hard to know. I mean, you know, the, the battery technology is really impressive and valuable. Uh, some of the technology being developed for the space um, uh, launches is probably really valuable uh, technology. Ultimately, you can see it, it absorbs a huge amount of cap- a capital, a vast amount of capital, and, and part of the reason why why he has this, he almost has this big personality, of course, is because it attracts in money into those businesses. It, it, which it's constantly absorbing. I suspect that there will come a point where something much bigger, some much bigger entity in China, potentially in in in, in the old traditional uh, European car manufacturing sector, the likes of, of Volkswagen or, or Mercedes, you can see would would step in and, and 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 be the and be the source of that capital, and that will change that. Obviously, um, Tesla company, you know, immeasurably potentially put it on a on a on a longer, more sustainable footing. Um, but potentially sort of, you know, ruin the magic as well. It's interesting, though, because he makes sexy products. That's ultimately it. And he makes a lot of noise.
0: Listen, thank you both, folks. Unfortunately, time is against us. We've managed to squeeze out everyone from Donald Trump to Joe Biden to Elon Musk to Sean Quinn and um, Arista, Flower, um, <laughs> incredible array of characters. So there was something going on apart from COVID. I just wanted to prove that if nothing else today with his podcast. Siobhan O'Connell, thank you very much. Donald O'Donovan, um, also from the Irish Independent. Siobhan O'Connell from Business Plus. Both of you, which, let's all look forward to a better year next year,
2: 2021. It couldn't be any worse, as you. And thank you very much for coming on today's podcast. Thanks so much.